You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. Luke chapter 12 is the verse in the Scripture passage, and the beginning verse is 41, till Jesus comes. What are we going to be doing till Jesus comes? You know, sometimes I think people have the idea that, well, He's coming back, and we're just kind of to sit by and wait, be patient, because He's coming one of these days. We're going to get on that good ship grace and make our way to glory. But he left us with a command. When he left, he didn't just say, hey, y'all hang out. Hey, y'all be patient. I'll be back. But he left us with a charge to be his witnesses. We say here, there, and everywhere. But I wonder, are we truly being faithful? My message this morning will be brief, just two points. And I want to share with you two things from this Scripture passage, but I pray it would be more than just a couple of points, but that God would speak to our heart as a church and individual and challenge us more than ever before to be faithful. Then Peter said in verse 41, Lord, speak about this parable unto us and to all. We'll talk in a moment about what that parable was. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise steward? A steward is one who has been charged with something, with keeping something, with a commitment. And the stewardship is that of the gospel in our case. Whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. How are we handling the gospel? I would say to you that as a church, we are conservative in our theology, solid in our doctrine. That is that we are handling our gospel message delicately. We are handling it carefully. That is, today we're living in a time where many people subvert and pervert the Word of God to the point that they are not carefully handling the Word of God. We train the boys and girls in Awana to study to show themselves approved unto God, a workman needing not to be ashamed. What? rightly dividing the Word of God. We do that here. I believe we are very careful to handle God's Word with kid gloves, with the delicacy it deserves, and we, uh, we adhere to its principles and we believe in what it says. I believe everybody in this room would shout out amen when it comes to the inerrancy and fallibility and the total inspiration of Scripture, right? Amen. Good stuff, good stuff. That's great. But do you know it's not enough? It's not enough to believe it. It's not enough to to say we affirm it. But what are we doing with it? It's not enough to grab a hold of it and keep it to ourselves. It's not enough to construct a new uh, stage and to to bury a, a, a Bible under the pulpit. There's one buried right under the pulpit. I wanted to make sure that whoever stood in this holy and sacred place that they would be standing on the rock, the Word of Almighty God. So they are. But it's not enough just to stand on it, to embrace it, to hold it, to affirm it. But we must take it. Jesus said, go. He never said just come, but to go. 
This morning, I want to share two simple thoughts. Number one, we're going to look at the urgency of the hour. And number two, the complacency of the church, the universal church, the body of Christ, and the complacent nature that we can find ourselves falling in. But to understand our text this morning, we must understand the context. Verse 35 of this same text, Jesus says, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. We're going to end with that actually, so we'll come back. Verse 36, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants. Verse 40, be ye therefore ready also for the Son of Man cometh in an hour when you think not. Nobody in this room has the exact date pinpointed as far as when Jesus will return. If he would have desired us to have that date, he would have given it to us. And what do you think we would have done? We would have been patient, we would have waited, and then right before Jesus came, we'd have made sure we got everything in order. The Bible says that if the good man, that is those who were charged with watching over the house, would have known what night the thief would come, then he'd have stayed up on that night. I'm reminded of a story, and some of you that have been here a long time have heard this story, but it's worth repeating. It's about my little jaybird. When he was just a little bitty fella, he, uh, well, his room was a mess. Any of your kids Ever have messy rooms? Never, never. His room got a little bit messy. And me and his mama were going on a trip and we saw his room and we were pretty upset with him and we said, well now Jay, uh, you have to have your room clean by the time we get home. You've got to clean up your room. You've got to put away your clothes. You've got to wash the dirty clothes or put the dirty clothes in the wash. We should have had him wash them, but you know, you've got to dust things. You've got to kit and you better have your room clean by the time we get home. And that little fellow looked up at us and thought about it because he's the smartest of the bunch. And he looked up at us and kind of scratched his chin. He said, when you reckon y'all will be back? <laughs> he was going to wait to the very last second. And friend, I believe the church has this idea that, well, we've still got time and, and we can wait and, and we can just kind of, you know, take care of things later. In fact, you may be here today and that may be your own spiritual condition. You may be saying, you know what? I'm young and, and I'm healthy and I'm fit and, and I don't really want to commit my life to Christ right now. I've still got some wild oats I want to sow. I've still got some things I want to experience and I'll give my heart and life to the Lord when I'm a little bit older and more mature. And very friend, we have no guarantee of tomorrow through death or rapture, our hope of eternity may be gone in, in, in literally the split second, the twinkling of an eye. Pray with me and for me this morning as we look at the subject till Jesus comes. Father, ready us, I pray, that we might make ready a world around us. Lord, thank you for the promise. You didn't abandon us. You didn't forsake us. But you went away but for a season with the promise to return. Until that very moment, Lord, I pray we would give it everything we have to share the good news, to carefully handle your word, but passionately handle your word as well. In Jesus' sweet name, amen and amen. The urgency of the hour. Beloved, the Bible gives us many indications about what the last...
days would look like. In fact, if you look in the book of Revelation, the church age was spelled out with seven specific churches. And you can see those in those first few chapters of the book of Revelation. And the very last church that John the Revelator deals with is the church of Laodicea. We are living in the Laodicean time. We are living in the very last dispensation or the very last age or chapter of the church. Now, I'm not the greatest reader. I read nearly a whole book when I was in Hawaii. I I couldn't sleep, so I'd get up really early and I'd read a chapter uh, a day and got almost through the book. In fact, I loved it so much, we're going to do a fall Bible study on it, simply entitled, Every Goliath Must Fall. But as I was reading that book, every morning I'd wake up and realize I was getting a little bit closer to the end. I'm not a very smart man, but I'd look at that book and tell where my progression is. And if you look at the book of Revelation, you can see the progression of the church age and you can see where we are. In the book of 2 Timothy, Paul told Timothy the things that we could be watching for even over a 2,000 year period. And when you look at chapters 3 and 4 of 2 Timothy, you will see clearly that it is more accurate than last night's 6 o'clock news. CNN and MSNBC, maybe even on Fox, you might have got some fake news. But I want to tell you, Paul gave Timothy some accurate news. Perilous times would come. Men would be lovers of their own selves. They would do what was right in their own eyes. They would call evil good and good evil. All of these things. And you'd say, wow, a hundred years ago, our grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents would have said, well, things aren't there yet. But we are living in those times when you would say, we are now here. Everything is in place. I believe at any moment the uh, trumpeter will sound the trumpet sound. The church will be rescued and be raptured. And we need to understand the urgency of the hour. You might be here and say, well, praise the Lord. I'm ready to get out of here. But what are we going to do with the fact that we realize time is running out? Again, my stories, many of you have heard, but there's pretty good ones every once in a while. And uh, you've heard the one maybe about the older couple that had the grandfather clock. I know Joe remembers all my stories. In fact, I got to tell you a story on Joe. He was able to be there last year when I preached at the Baptist State Convention, my, the annual sermon, you know. And man, I preached my heart out. And I got done and I said, you know, I kind of wished I'd have run for a second term because I'd have sure loved being able to preach next year's annual sermon Joe said, you couldn't have done it. You preached everything you knew tonight. So fact of the matter is, over the last 18 years, I've probably preached about all that I know. But the elderly couple, they had an old grandfather clock out in the hall. How many of you got a grandfather clock in your house? Isn't it a wonderful sound? You kind of get used to hearing it, you know, and it chimes the hour. And this older couple, they'd get up every morning at 5 a.m. They'd listen for that old grandfather clock to chime out five times. Dong, dong, dong echoing through the halls of their home and it would chime five times the old man look over and say honey it's time to get the coffee on Uh let's get up and get going a new day is upon us and on one particular day that old clock got to going gong 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 and it got stuck and it gonged 36 times and finally quit and the old man looked over and said honey get up quick it ain't never been this late before the fact of the matter is that's where we are it has never Never, ever, ever been this late before. What do we do? Number one, I want to acknowledge there's so much to do. There is so much to do. Now, that may be intimidating, but imagine if you are a fisherman 
Brother Jamie's a fisherman. He got one of these fish finders on his boat. These poor little unsuspecting fish down there just swimming around and he's up there in his boat looking right down on them. Imagine if he looked down and, he, and all he saw was a mass of fish. I mean a school of fish, millions and millions of fish. He would say, I'm going to bait a hook and drop it in right now because with all of these fish, surely one or two will bite. Friend, we are living in a time where there are more lost people around us than there have ever been. We have the gospel. We have the good news. How important that we realize, yes, there is so much to do, yet God has given us all that we need to reach this lost and, and this, uh, you know, very much adulterous generation. How about it? Are we willing to be willing workers when we realize how much there is to do? Number two, there's so much at stake. There's so much at stake. When we realize that we're carrying the gospel, you'd say, well, if I don't, somebody else will. You know, I'm going to let that be for the pastor, for the church leadership. They can go and share the gospel. The fact of the matter is that every single one of us have been gifted, if we're saved, with the gift of the Holy Spirit, the ability to simply share our I don't have to beg you to share about your grandkids or your favorite ball team or your favorite music group or whatever it is. We willingly share about things we're passionate about. And we must be willing to share, realizing there's so much at stake. Number three, there are so many souls that need saving. How many of you saw the news report this week of the tragic duck boat incident where the boat was out and and finally capsized? Most everybody has probably seen that video. There's one particular video that was taken by a lady who was riding on a riverboat and she had her phone out and and there's, there's, there's audio with this video as well. And you see the boat trying to stay above water and trying to stay above water and you can see the people inside of the boat and you can hear the screams of people on the riverboat and this woman is crying out, my God, my God, why doesn't somebody do something? There's so many people. Why doesn't somebody do something? And I heard as I was listening to that video and that audio, I heard the very voice of heaven crying out, there are so many lost people in Dublin and so many lost people in Bladen County and so many lost people in North Carolina. Why doesn't somebody do something about it? I wonder sometimes... Do we realize the urgency of carrying the gospel message? When was the last time we led somebody to Christ? When was the last time we shared our story with someone that desperately needed to hear? Simple point, the urgency of the hour. When we watched that duck boat, we knew that unless a miracle happened, it was going to sink. And all of those people were going to go down. Many of them would die. We need to go from this place today. And when we go to the Walmart or the Dollar General or when we go to the restaurants or go to our schools or go to our social gatherings, we need to look around and realize these people are just as helpless. They are just as hopeless. They are just as much in peril, just as much in need. And somebody must help them. The urgency of the hour. Imagine if the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in America got as passionate about fighting for souls as firemen do fighting fires, as the EMTs do when they courageously go into a situation to help save a life. Imagine if we had such passion 
Number two, not only do we see the urgency of the hour, we see the complacency of the church, verse 45. But if that servant says in his heart, my Lord delays his coming. And he begins talking about the things that we might do. The Bible says in numerous places that we would be eating and drinking and giving in marriage. and In other words, we would just be living life normally. Now, I'm not trying to be an alarmist, and I don't want you to go from this place depressed today, but realize that there is a trap of complacency that, that the church can get held up in if we're not very careful. Think about this for a minute. In 2 Timothy 3, I talked about that. That's in where we're talking about the perilous times would come. And is everybody familiar with that passage? Look at it later. For two chapters, Paul says, Timothy, perilous times, lovers of their own selves, calling good evil and evil good. And talks. In fact, it even says that kids would be disobedient to their parents. That's right in the list. And all of these things, you know, without natural affection and on and on and on and on. And we could say, yes, that's the time we're living in. With all of the things going on in our world, that's... The time we're living in. But in 2 Timothy 3, chapter 3, verse number 5, do you know what else it says? It says that the church would have a form of godliness, but we would deny the power of the gospel. You see, that's right in the list of all of those terrible things that will happen in the last time. So, so literally what's going on in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today was clearly spelled out in Scripture now, why is it that we no longer have confidence in the power of Christ? Why is it that we have the idea that the best days of the church are now behind us? Romans chapter 13, verse number 11, Paul says this, It is now high time for the church to awaken from her slumber. I get to preach a lot of revivals. I enjoy that. I feel like that's a gift. I, I just is a blessing for me. Um, and and I'm, I'm doing some, some crusades and different things this fall that I've never gotten to do. I'm preaching Friday uh, in Lincolnton, and I'm right between Herb Revis and Johnny Hunt. Yep. I'm going to be snack time. I've been to those conferences, and when this guy, who is this guy? Let's go to the bookstore. Hey, there's a Taco Bell down the street. Let's go get something to eat. So I'm expecting that. Um, but when I go to many, many churches, I walk in, and I'm preaching, and I'm wanting to go, wake up, sometimes literally, because people have dozed off. But it's as if they're just so immune to the gospel, so immune to the good news of the Word of God. You remember the story I told you about the grandfather clock? And some of you said you have one. If I were to ask you to be honest, some of you would probably say, you know what? I forgot about that grandfather clock. I guess it's still chiming, but I've heard it for so many years, I don't even recognize it anymore. It doesn't even wake me up anymore. I don't even hear it in the night anymore. And sometimes we've heard the good news so many times and, and it's become just almost to the point that we're numb to it. When we hear the songs of Zion and we hear the gospel message, it no longer moves my heart. I had the privilege this week of meeting with one of our young people and with tears in his eyes, he shared his heart and the freshness of what God's doing. And I must tell you, it made me rejoice to see that freshness. There's no substitute for seeing a young person or an adult come to Christ and the zeal and the enthusiasm. Anybody remember the episode of You excited to be here? Andy Griffith. Remember, it's, it's one of the color episodes, and it's actually one of the only good color episodes. Um, and it's where Howard decides he's going to leave Mayberry and go live on a deserted island. Everybody seen that episode? 
you people really need more culture in your life. You need to watch more episodes. Of, y'all didn't watch that down there? Oh. Telemundo. Anyway. Well, Halbert gets to the island. He's all excited. He's so excited he doesn't know what to do. And then he goes and begins to meet some of these other people who moved to the island with great hopes and ambitions. And he sees how over time they've grown tired of the island. They've grown bored with the island. They've grown into almost a daze where they don't even know what day of the week it is or what month of the year it is. How sad it is that we as the children of God, that we as the bride of Christ could ever get to the point that we're no longer excited about the freshness of what God is doing. By the way, that's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about taking you places. I want to take you to a new place and, and let you witness worship in a different place or in a different language to see that, that, that this gospel message is not something that we've got, a, a, you know, that we've cornered the market on right here in Dublin. But there, there's a big, you know, thing that God's doing across this world with the gospel and we're a very small part of it but a very significant part if God ever would wake us up it needs to be now it needs to be today let me give you this the progression of our expectation verse 40 be therefore ready also for the son of man cometh at an hour when you think not what is the church to be doing three things number one waiting now we're good at that waiting's easy Right? Waiting's easy. Sometimes. Waiting helps us understand that there's an expectation. That there's something coming. In all of our lives, we live a life of expectation, do we not? When we're young... We have expectations of the next big game or, or, or some event that's going to be hopefully at the church meeting house or, or some, you know, or, you know, summer break, you know? And then when we get a little bit older, we have the expectation maybe of getting our driver's license. We're counting down the days from 15 to 16. I did. Maybe uh, 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 our first date or maybe our, our wedding. We're counting down the days till we get married. And there's an expectation, our job. And then eventually you get to that point, you start counting down the days to retire. All of these things we're expecting, right? We, we're, we're expecting people. And, and, and I waited for months looking forward to our mission trip in Hawaii, and it was such a blessing. And Man, it came and it was gone so quickly. Maybe you're looking forward to the next big event in your life. But are we as a church living with the spirit of expectation? There's something coming. Most churches today are looking back and saying, Wow, something happened back yonder. I remember when I was young and God was blessing our church. I remember, I remember. And we're looking back. But you, we're not looking ahead at the expectation of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Years ago, I was driving down the road. I love to look at church signs. Get ideas. Put it on our church sign. By the way, as I drive around now, probably three-fourths of the church signs have pastor and then a big blank. It's kind of scary. But um, I saw a church sign years ago, and it said Sunday's sermon. and had a colon, and underneath it said, The Rupture of the Church. And I kind of scratched my head, and I thought, Either A, there's a misspelled word, or B, wow, there's something going on in that church that's not going too well. But the fact of the matter is there are probably more churches in America that are going through the rupture than are preparing for the rapture. If that makes sense, say amen. We're waiting. There's an expectation. But number two, there's also watching. There's a watching. 
We're we're looking not just for signs of the time so that we can predict exactly when Christ is going to come, but we're watching. We're living in a way where we are not only expecting something, but we're anticipating it with great fondness, with great jubilation. Jay was not standing at at the door waiting with great expectation for us to return and inspect his house, his room. But you know there have been times in your life that you have waited for somebody. Maybe they've been off to war. Maybe they've been off on a trip or whatever it might be. And you looked for them. You anticipated their return. And the closer it got, the more excited you got. The more passionate you got. You began crossing those days off, counting the days. You were looking forward to it. There was a spirit of wonder when it comes to the return of Christ. Most of us are very confused about eschatology, the study of the end times. It it overwhelms us. Many times people want to know as much as they can about the book of Revelation. But let me tell you, and I'm all about studying the Word of God. I'm all about knowing as much as we can. But all of eschatology, all of the study of end times can be summed up in verse 40. Be ready also. Be ready. Above everything else, we're watching and we're ready. Number three, not only are we waiting with expectation, not only are we watching with great anticipation, but thirdly, we are working. We are working. Let me ask you a question. Are you a saved servant or a sulking saint? Now, I submit to you, there's very little room in between these two categories. A saved servant or a sulking saint. Have you ever noticed how good it is to stay busy? Idleness is of the enemy. When you're busy and you're working and you're active, it is good for your physical, your emotional, and your spiritual well-being. Someone called me last week and they said, How's your vacation going? I said, Well, I'm on top of a roof with a nail gun in one hand and a roll of uh, this underlayment in the other. It's going wonderful. And I meant it. I can't explain it, but the thought of sitting out on Waikiki with, uh, you know, a Diet Dr. Pepper in one hand and, you know, my sunglasses in the other, that just didn't do anything for me. I love to work. I love to be busy. I love to be active. And most people in here get that. Listen, busyness is wonderful, but how can we find anything more profitable to do than working for the Lord? Verse 35, I want you to look at that verse. This is cool. You've got to read the Bible with an understanding of exactly what's being said. Don't skim over stuff because you might miss something. Here's what Jesus said. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. Now remember this is talking about in anticipation of His return. Your loins gird about and your lights burning. What in the world did Jesus mean? It's simple. Number one, your loins gird about. Back in the First century, men would have worn long flowing robes. Depending on their wealth, the wealthier they were, the more layers they would have had. How many of you men are glad you're not living in that time? Amen. They had these long flowing robes. They would have been, uh, you know, many times multiple layers. And they could have not worked. They could have not done anything uh, active. So if they ever needed to do something, if they ever had to walk a long distance or hurry, or if they ever had work to do, I can imagine old Zacchaeus climbing the tree, you know. They would take the length of that robe and begin rolling it up 
almost into a knot. And they would take it and pull it up tightly and then fold it under their midsection until it was tightly uh, gathered and tucked in. And then their legs would be free to be able to walk, to be able to run, to be able to work. So Jesus says, number one, prepare yourselves to do my work. Let me interpret this maybe in a 21st century way. Roll up your sleeves. Roll up your sleeves. What a sad commentary that would read that about 20% of the people that attend a church on a daily basis or, or, or regular basis are actually actively involved in the work of the church. 80% are more like spectators coming for a show. I really enjoyed the show. Oh, the music was, oh, the preaching. I liked the show or I didn't like the show. At the end of the day, it's not about show, it's about go. We're working. Our loins girded about. Everybody in this room has something that you can do and nobody else can do. Whether it's singing a song, teaching a lesson, serving on a committee, whatever it is, do that which God has called you to do. Gird up your loins. But then the second part, and your light's burning. There's many things we could take and run with this, but let me just say in conclusion, it's a very clear picture of what the church is to be. We are to be light in the midst of darkness. Now, let me give you this real quick. If we were to be honest, we would say that we spend a lot of time talking about how dark the darkness is, right? I mean, uh, you know, that's just, everybody's kind of talking about the other side these days. Um, if, you, if you turn on MSNBC and CNN, they're talking about how bad Donald Trump is. And if you turn on Fox, they're talking about how bad MSNBC and, and CNN are. Everybody's talking about how bad the other side is. If that makes sense, do like that. And here's the trap the church has gotten caught in. We spend so much of our energy talking about how bad the other side is. But what is the definition of darkness? Y'all are good, you remember. The absence of light. Where does the judgment of God begin? The house of God. Yes, God's going to hold men accountable for their sin, but He's going to hold the church accountable for whether or not we were light. He's not going to evaluate us based on the quality of, of, of our music. I was in a church not too long ago, and, and the choir kept hitting these notes, and I don't know where they were, but they won't own the scale thing, and... I kept, looked like I was eating sour pickles, I'm sure. And this lady come up to me and she said, How'd you like our choir special? I said, Oh, it's special, all right. <laughs> but God's not going to hold them accountable for even that. They did the best they could. God's not going to hold us accountable for how, how you know, elegant our, our, our buildings are or how, you know, fancy we conduct our services. But He is going to hold us accountable for whether or not we were light in the midst of darkness the complacency of the church. The Bible says, For unto whom much is given, much shall be required. Have you ever heard that? Unto whom much is given, much shall be required. You've heard it all your life. May I say to you, you've misinterpreted it all your life, because I have. I've always used that verse to say, Well, if God's given you a lot of money, then He's going to hold you accountable for being a good steward with that money. And there are biblical principles to that. If God's given us this beautiful building, He's going to hold us responsible for being good stewards with this building. Biblical principles. But in this verse, it is all about the gospel. Unto whom much has been given, 
Christ was given, His mercy, His grace, His love, His unmerited favor, our salvation. This was given to us. Much has been given, so much shall be required that we go, gird up our loins, we let our light shine before men that they may see His good works. Wednesday night, here in our Bible study, I shared Psalm 66, 5, but because not everybody was here, I want to close with this real quick. Psalm 66, 5, the psalmist says this, Come, come and see the awesome works that God is doing through His people. Come and see the awesome works that God is doing through His people. Beloved, God has chosen this place and God has chosen this season to do a tremendous work. It's overwhelming to think all that God's doing with our two campuses and now our camp and the mission partnerships. It's a complex and a complicated dynamic, but it's good and God's blessing. May I encourage you three things. Number one, open your eyes that you might see. As it said, there's none so blind as those who will not see. Open your eyes so you can see what God is doing. Henry Blackaby said, look for where God is at work and join him. Look, come and see the awesome things that God is doing. How do you know if it's a God thing? When it's something that only God can do. And I want to assure you what God's doing in this church certainly didn't originate here. I'm not that smart. It didn't originate even in here because I'm not that creative. But it originated out of the voice of God. There's no doubt in my mind. And I'm grateful for it. Let's open our eyes and see what God is doing. Number two, let's open our heart to embrace what God is doing. Don't fight it. I, I was having dinner last night with a family, and they had two little children. One had just turned one, and one was three, almost three. And the one that was three kept throwing tantrums. You know why? Because the one-year-old was getting all the attention. Sometimes we can be jealous and sometimes we can be all about us. Sometimes we can be narcissistic. But when we back up and we say, Lord... I don't even understand all that you're doing, but I'm so thankful that you're working. I'm so thankful for your blessings. Open your heart to the work of God. And then thirdly, open your life to the work of God. It's one thing to say, I affirm the gospel. It's another thing to live it, to love it, and to, and to share it. Open our lives and say, God, I don't want to be a spectator. I want to be a participant. God, I want to get in on all that you're doing. Why? Because of the urgency of the time. Thank you for not being a complacent church. Let's pray together. Let's ask God daily to protect us from that complacency that grips so many bodies of Christ in this world today. Father, I thank you for a church that has a vision. I thank you for a church that has, a Lord, a heart that wants to hear from you and that wants to follow where you lead. God.